Welcome to the Kitchen Island Podcast. Guys, it's, this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. I've, I've, I've brought them together. I got oh. it. Oh. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> Tom got sick of the I... banter. He got sick of the banter. He says, bring me in next time. I don't care if it's last minute. I need to put Jay in his place. Well, at least defend myself. (laughs) I mean, listen, there was was some good banter going back and and Tom, you know, listened to the pod and he sent me a message. He said, I, you know, either you bring me in or I quit. And I'm like, no, none of this happened. I will. <laughs> what do you What do you mean? I have messages, man. I have messages, Tom. Let's not bullshit here, man. Kip, always have evidence. We speak factually. That's it. Okay. This is an opinion based. This is a fan based opinion podcast. These are facts. We all went to. <laughs> we're all journalists. <laughs> I she said. I was, I was wondering how long you could get you'd, try, you'd be able to keep that going. Oh goodness gracious! Oh guys, I got Tommy, I got Jay. This is Kim. Mm. You show Jay. We're gonna talk. We're going to talk Team Canada. We're gonna talk Leeds, Liverpool. Mm. Uh, you know the second coming of the prodigal son, Ronaldo to Manchester United. Well, I don't know. Maybe throw a little Gary Neville in there. Why not? And Tommy's going to hit us with some random facts because we always need facts here at KIPP. So buckle up, Kippers. Your Monday night is set. And I'm going to have to post this like tomorrow. I can't wait too long, man. Sometimes like I get so busy and I end up posting on Thursday. Recording on Monday. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, Yeah, your Monday night is set will not age well by the time. All right, let's uh, let's jump into Team Canada because Team Canada played three games over uh, last weekend or the weekend before or the last week. And Tommy, I'll let you kind of take it take it away there. Let's talk some some Honduras Canada first. Yeah, I mean honestly, one one against Honduras in a World Cup qualifier that's a good result. I mean, traditionally we lost eight one against those guys not that long ago. Um, <laughs> so one one, the ability to say that yeah, we can easily these are the teams we're competing, we're legit competitive against. That's a good feeling. And I thought it was a pretty evenly, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it in full, but uh, I thought it was a pretty uh, evenly matched game um, from what I saw. And just really happy that, you know, we got, got off to a good start. Um, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, good start. Honduras, 1-1. On to the, and then uh, we, we moved on. Yeah, I think Tom is probably right there. I, I would, I mean, I think that the way I saw, and again, let's also clarify that Tom would probably watch the whole game, whereas I was watching the French leaders debate with the game on in the background. But um, there was some conversation about why is he playing Jonathan David and Kyle Lahren together. And in my opinion, he was probably hoping that Jonathan David was going to drop a little bit deeper, create a bit more, and you want your best finishers out there against um, not, not minnows, of the competition, but some of the probably uh, less threatening teams. I don't think that they were too worried about dominating the midfield against Honduras. And they, if I'm not mistaken, they did have something like 60 some percent of the ball. Uh, so I think, yeah, they were just looking to create as much opportunity as possible. Um, I, I would I would probably lean close to what Tom said, but I would say Canada probably having the upper hand for, for most of the match, but still vulnerable on the counter. I mean, 
the one thing that really showed through here was there is such uh, there's so much more depth in attack than there is kind of in the middle of the park and, and in defense. Um, so that's and probably in goal too if you really want to uh, really want to draw that line. But um, I think that they, they had kind of a bit of a trouble to to to, to find some or create some some good opportunities in front of goal. I think the team Cannon not starting also was a, a bit surprising. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's – or wait, no, sorry. Was that – I think I'm confusing that. He did confusing games, yeah. This is yeah. – yeah. he started against, uh, against Honduras. Yeah, the sorry. One, the one thing that Canada does need to get out of their game uh, – out of the game is the bad penalties. Because against Honduras gave away another bad penalty in the previous round, gave, giving away bad penalties. Got to cut that out. Yeah, um, that was – sorry. So, yeah, that was Tejon Buchanan that conceded the penalty. Yeah, Honduras. yeah, but it was a bad penalty to concede. It was, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that assessment. Um, honestly, guys, I'm, I'm going to kind of just bring this up. I And I don't know. It's just my opinion, obviously. Um, I don't know how – I don't know. Laren is – Laren is – he doesn't convince me, guys. I don't know. I know he scored a, he's been scoring a lot. But for some reason, maybe he's not easy on the eye. But like, he just doesn't convince me uh, up front a lot. And, and, but he, he produces. Obviously, he produces. But, well, but there, there's something about him. I think I think and Tom, if you don't mind me jumping in first here, I, if if in the match versus the U.S., I was very surprised to see him as the solo center forward um, rather than Jonathan David, especially given yes, um, he does have more goals for Canada, but it is razor thin. And Jonathan David has played less than half the amount of matches Kyle Barron has played. He's a French champion. I think that he's far more lethal when he gets the ball. I think there's a much greater opportunity that he puts it in the back of the net. And if you look at the chance in the USA match early on when Alfonso Davies broke through, dribbled into the box and fed it back to Kyle Barron and he missed, um, I couldn't help but think Jonathan David would have buried that. I think Kyle Aaron's a different style, a bit of a different style of striker than Jonathan David. And I don't know is that his style is necessarily as well suited to the speed of Canada. Like when he plays for Besiktas, they play a much different game. And his, his game style suits the Besiktas game more than it does the Canada game. But he still, he scored in both games against Honduras yeah. and the United States. So, yeah. I mean, he is still, he's still getting, getting it. But yeah, you're right. He could have had a second, should have had a second against the States. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, if you look at the goal he scored against the U.S., I mean, you put any warm body in that position and they buried that goal, except for Timo Werner, apparently. But yeah, anybody else would have buried that. No, that, that, see, and, and that's just it, right? I, I think there's some, just some fours that, I, and again, it's a preference thing. They're not always easy on the eye. And I'm kind of like, huh, like, why is it that you're starting kind of thing? But I, there's definitely some some benefit to, to him starting. Like, I'm not writing him off or anything like that, but just, just my thought out there. Yeah, no, no. I, I like Kyle Lehrer as well. I'm very happy that he's Canadian and playing for Canada, and I think he's a great option. But, but no, I think that when you play a big match against the U.S., I think that Jonathan David has to – I think you need to roll out the superstar. You need to put yeah. out the guy who is the French champion – um, who has pretty much a goal per game since he started his Canada career. I, I think he's the guy that needs to play against the U.S., and I think that Kyle Nairn is probably the guy who starts against El Salvador, not the other way around. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's jump up to the, the States, you know. Oh, last thing I want to bring up about Honduras is that the only, the only thing I'm disappointed with the draw is that, you know, in the CONCACAF that Mexico and, and the States are going to run it. You know what I mean? They're going to, generally speaking, generally speaking, they finish one and two. 
Okay. Um, so when you play Honduras, when you play the other, the other countries, that's when you got to maximize. You got, cause you have to go in knowing, uh, well, mentally saying like, okay, like we're going to give it our go, but if we drop points, it's okay because that we can sneak into that third spot. We can, we can get points from, from the other opponents. So that's why I guess I was a bit disappointed with dropping points against Honduras because up next was the States. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I had the same opinion. Um, I, I think I think in retrospect, Tom's assessment is probably the, the fair one. Uh, but yeah, I think as a Canada fan, you just you're looking at those three places and you're thinking, if we're not playing, you know, the U.S. or Mexico, we better not be dropping points. Um, but I, you know. I, these these are things, like it's a it's it's, it's going to be um, a whirlwind qualifying period and and it's, it's like there are no there are no easy matches at this point we can't take anything for granted. But looking at it though, the teams we're really competing against for that third place in reality it's really Costa Rica and Honduras and maybe yeah. Jamaica. Um, so we need to we definitely need to get the wins against um, Panama and El Salvador because those are the two weakest teams in the group. So getting a draw out a point against Honduras isn't that bad because they are the team really one of the teams we're competing with for that third place. Yeah, no, that that's spot on, Tommy. Spot on. So we moved on to the U.S. game. Um, you know what, guys? Um, this U.S. team, I feel they have so much potential, yet they do not put that together. They they don't. They didn't play that well, man. They didn't play. That. And then credit to Canada, we Canada did very well um in in lots you know it was kind of it was an open game but then like there was parts of the game that um where the U.S. dominated uh but then when I think when the subs came in things changed eh because well you know no I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I think I'm oh, sorry I'm not to completely disagree with you this way but I'm just saying there, there was a point in the second half that I think Alfonso Davies sort of went off and he had like a number of runs down the left flank and then he got hurt and then yeah. Tejon Buchanan came on, and then we had a number of runs down the right flank, and they were all dangerous, and they were all into the box. And I think that the lesson to draw from there is, like you said, the U.S. are a better team than Canada. There's just no denying it. They are better than we are. But speed kills. And Canada and Alfonso Davies and Tejon Buchanan have more speed than anyone can manage. So, you know, you give those guys the ball, they're going to run at you four or five times down the wing. Uh, especially in the case of Davies, he's going to create something at the end. And with Tejon Buchanan, as we've seen, there's a good chance he creates something. Uh, and I think that that really showed in that match. But you're right, probably aided by a bit of a lackluster performance from the U.S. When Conrad De La Fuente came on, he played for Marseille, and he's had a nice start to the season. And I was like, oh, shit, this is not good. And yeah, right away he kind of picked up the ball a couple and gave them some width and some speed down the flank. And uh, I, I was—I I admit that as soon as he came on, I was like kind of happy a Marseille player was playing, but I was also very just very worried for Canada. Yeah, and I think that the um, the youthfulness of the U.S. Uh, U.S. team um, was helpful to Canada. Not much in the way. The one player I thought that they missed that they was Weston McKenney. Yeah. Um, I think that Weston they didn't either. Their midfield looked a little bit week uh so i think that the fact that west mckinney was out that was a big boost for canada I, I can't believe they sent him home for disciplinary reasons but i've i've read about this like this it looks right now and mind you okay can we put this in perspective like these these footballers are like early 20s right mid early 20s and yes they can react the way they do or have fun or whatever because he broke protocol right he yeah. broke the bubble 
So they sent him home. So it's like something basic. I was like, come on, man, like shit, <laughs> you don't have a good, you're building yourself a reputation here. Right. And it just kind of sucks that you can't, I don't know, have a little more discipline, I guess. It's his fault though. I mean, it's his fault. You, I mean, you have a chance was... to represent your country. It's a, it's a global pandemic in case you haven't been outside in the last year and eight months. Um, act better. I'm sorry. And, and I agree with the, 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 I guess, I don't know if it was the Federation or the coach's decision, but you got to bench those guys. You can't, yeah. you can't, that you can't set this precedent where everyone else doesn't have to respect the rules. I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah. yeah. Just because you play for Juventus doesn't mean you have, you can get, you can uh, uh, skirt the rules. The rules are the yeah. rules. These things aren't difficult to, it's a week and a half that you have to go and not have people in your hotel room. No, you're I, supposed I, to be setting the example. You know, you're a public. You know, you're a sports figure. You're you're in the public eye. You're supposed to be setting the example for all the young Americans who are watching you, or soccer mad, and, and you know, and, and the Juventus supporters who are watching you. And it's, that's just it's just unacceptable. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. But man, I, I'm telling you, not that we didn't know it already, but Fonzie's a player, man. Fonzie is a freaking player. And you know what? And I got so mad with Lauren missed that cutback because. Guys, fuck, hit it with your left foot. Hit it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're a professional. I don't care how weak your left foot is. You sh- it should still be it, it, your left, your weaker foot. Sorry, I'll say your weaker foot should still be at a point where you're confident enough where you can hit it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's incredible that you let it cross your body, make yourself unbalanced just to hit it with your stronger foot. And you end up, like, totally uh, not hitting it properly, right? So, I get so fresh. It's, it's such a pet peeve of mine that even though your weaker foot isn't the strongest, you should still be good enough from a professional level to fucking hit it like that. That's I'm not, I'm not saying like a friggin' 30 yards away, but a, like a one time tap in kind of thing. Jesus. That's my thought because I've seen a few Jonathan David goals for the national team. And I feel like he does score those frequently. Like when Alfonso Davies or somebody else cuts it back to him in the box and he's in a dangerous area, like it's in the back of the net. He does not miss those. He does not hit players in the way. He does not generate saves. Like, yeah, he occasionally, but very frequently those end up in the back of the net. And that's when I saw that specifically, I thought this is the kind of chance that Jonathan David converts on a regular basis. It's unfortunate that it didn't go off that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, overall, it uh, ended up being a really good result. Um, yeah. What a draw in qualifying against absolutely. US on the road. Uh, we'll take that. Away yeah. and away too? Yeah, away to the United States. That's a, that's a, that's a, it's a really good result. Yeah. yeah. I would have taken a, a, a one or two nothing that doesn't do damage the goal differential too much. I would have been satisfied with that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, let's let's jump to the last qualifying game of this round. It was uh, Canada against uh, El Salvador. Um, actually, fun, funny thing is that there was a lot of Salvadoreños here from Ottawa that traveled to Toronto um, to to watch uh, El Salvador play. So that's that's kind of nice, you know. Uh, just from a general footy purist point of view, you know, what I mean, it's good to kind of be yeah, a lot of people from here who immigrated here being able to see their country was was kind of uh, their country play kind of cool. But um, guys, uh, I'm gonna give you guys the floor because I did, I barely watched this game because we were at the uh, the Atlético Ottawa game. Um, Canada dominated this one. I mean, it was uh, I thought it could have been easily four or maybe five. And El, Sal- and El Salvador should never have finished this game with eleven players. Um, their one player, uh, n- player number thirteen, Laren Alexander Laren, should have. There was two times in the first half when he should have been sent off for various things one where one for one for basically running over and 
stomping on um, uh, Tejon Buchanan and another one for an elbow to the face of Tejon Buchanan or Tejon. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, but yes, yeah, somehow, because CONCACAF refs are fundamentally garbage um, and there's no VAR, he somehow managed to. And so he got, they got to halftime and the coach did the smart thing and hooked him. But yeah, I should never like, and that was, that's, that was a big frustration of this game for me was the refing, but I was super happy. Atiba Hutchinson, the, uh, uh, the ageless wonder, Atiba Hutchinson uh, got the opener, Jonathan David from another good, uh, good, uh, good set of play. Um, Pat, good uh, cross from Tejon Buchanan for Jonathan David got the finish and then Tejon Buchanan with an assist from David for the third, uh, just a really professional performance against a very dirty team. Yeah, strangely, I would have said, like, you know, the only... And it's funny that you just mentioned those two incidents. I had two completely different incidents in the mind. Yeah, there was the one where you, somebody ran over. I don't know if that one was Alison or Larry, but somebody ran over and stomped on Buchanan's thigh. And then once he got tangled up with another defender, um, uh, they were walking over as uh, the guys that he was looking at what was going on and clearly jerking his knee out to knee uh, uh, Buchanan in the head while he was lying on the ground. And then Buchanan obviously gets up upset that he's just been kneed in the head and goes to give him a shove and he's waiting for it, expecting it. And he goes down and he draws the yellow card for Buchanan. And the other one where they're both jumping for a header, um, Barrera's behind him and he kicks out his legs um, so that he falls on his back. Uh, so that, that again, yeah, for me was a blue, uh, you know, a red card, a yellow at least. I, I really couldn't believe it. And like I said, right call by the manager to, to hook him because he was he was really going to like eventually the ref was going to have to stop missing these red carnival offenses. Uh, and, and I will add, yeah, exactly, great great performance, good goals, uh, Donaldson Davis goal, the excellent header, and then for that Tijon Buchanan goal, the way that he kind of jumped in uh, and, and capitalized on some ineffective passing along the back line to to take the ball and then set up Tejon Buchanan. Uh, it, was, it was very, very good to see, I think, an overall good performance against an overmatched opponent, uh, and we, we should acknowledge as well. Uh, but, I mean, they had a job to do, and they got it done, and that's what they're going to need to do a lot more of if they want to cement their place uh, at the next World Cup. It's just, can we just step back and say how nice it's to talk about a Canada men's team that's actually got a legit chance of qualifying for the World Cup? Yeah. Like, five years ago, we would have completely shattered against El Salvador and lost, like, 2 1 on with that, thanks to a late defensive meltdown or something like that. Yeah, no, I know. I agree for sure. And we, we've talked about this before, Tommy, how it's, um, how it's nice having Canada have a competitive team, man. Like, right now, after three qualifying matches, they sit, they sit second, right, in the table, um, right behind Mexico. So um, I, I totally love that. Uh, and and um, I think it was Christian Jack who was mentioning, and I agree with him, that he said um, that there is an expectation now from this Canada team, and it's actually disappointing when they don't deliver. Before it was just like, okay, we, we have like very low expectations, but now it's like you got to score. You're going to score, right, because you're that good now. You have the quality for it. So, um, like, hat, like my hat goes, uh, take my hat off for all those, you know, for anyone at uh, Canada Soccer who's been making this happen, man. From from finding the gems, you know, convincing, like, for example, Estacio to come play for Canada, you know, kind of thing, you know, or or other, you know, other. I don't, I don't, I, I honestly have to say, I don't know how much credit I'm going to give to Canada Soccer on this. All right, all right, talk to me, talk, go ahead, go ahead. I, I know, I just think that it's a lot, of, like, you look at Alfonso Davies, you know, or the kind of pride and joy of Canadian soccer right now, and he uh, evolved through uh, 
uh, Free Footy Edmonton, which is a local program that just kept kids who couldn't afford the pay-to-play model that Canada, Canada Soccer governs. They don't govern Edmonton Free Footy. They govern the pay-to-play clubs. Um, and then getting an opportunity to go play in the Whitecaps residency program. So that's what I'll say that you know, the professional clubs coming in and having academies that allow players to play for free like they do elsewhere uh, in the world is allowing the absolute best to continue playing soccer and good uh, formal uh, training uh, for, for you know, professional coaches. Uh, and then you look at Jonathan David, the other crown jewel of Canada's uh, recent crop of superstars. Why is he so good? Did he go over to Europe early? No, he didn't. He played locally, but he, he said that the advantage was he was at, in a sport program at Lurien. That's not a Canada soccer thing. That's a high school thing where the school board sets up a program where you and have this prominently in Quebec, which is why they turn out so many great athletes for the relative, not the tiny population, but the smaller comparable population to the rest of Canada, um, because they have these programs where kids will go to school part of the day and part of their education is spending a lot of time training in their sport of choice. And he credits having the ball on his feet all the time and playing all the time in the really a small program to then uh, being able to go ahead and make the leap to the professional ranks. So, um, you know, I, 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 if Canada soccer is doing some better things, I'm happy, but I think it's also just a crop of youngsters who are being given opportunities with the professional academies here, with some people, some goodwill, with some other alternative programs, finding routes uh, to get there. And I think also general attitudes internationally changing about giving Canadian players a chance, um, the growth of the MLS. And uh, I will say also just... Um, I think it's been a long time coming because I always say this when I used to play, you know, I had a guy, a British guy who was, you know, the dad of a teammate who would make us run around and do some drills and play. And then I looked at my brother who's five years younger than I am. And they had, again, a British guy, but it was not a dad was there actually just a coach. And he had, he had the kids, you know, at a technical level, light years past where I was. And then five years later, I remember walking by some U14s that were, you know, huffing the ball back and forth and taking it down with one touch and sending it back. And I, again, those kids were light years ahead of where we were. I think it's immigration, um, coaches getting involved, teaching the game um, the way it should, because we have the population and we have the athletes. And I think they were just starting to see the results of that. And the key at this point is continuing to let these players, these talented players who do not have the means participate, because that's how we're going to get, um, we're going to stop missing out on players who just pack it in and do something else. Yeah. yeah, and I think that I do have noticed that I know that Jason DeVos took over and started because um, before, like 10 years ago, there was a lot of infighting and in the, within the CSA as to what the direction. And Jason DeVos, from his position as a pundit, was criticizing. So they told him to put up or shut up and gave him the job. And that's uh, that's one turning point. It, that, I don't know if it, causation's not necessarily correlation all that, yeah. but Jason, the, since Jason DeVos has been more heavily involved in helping direct youth coaching, that's we have noticed an improvement in the men's national team. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's there's some change there, uh, but I, I think it's also just you know what I got me thinking about this the other day, Jose. I think you had possibly commented on it was somebody tweeting that the the like on transfer market the the value of the Canadian national team before and after Herman. And I'm saying the value of individual players in the Canadian national team um, is not down to John Herdman. It's down to Correct. what. People are willing to play for our players and whether they're playing in big European clubs and therefore uh, having an inflated market value or, or doing that um, in the MLS and also the MLS market values raising up again. Like John Herman didn't go pick Alfonso Davies out of Edmonton, move him to the Vancouver Whitecaps and get Byron Munich interested in signing him. Um, 
Same thing with Jonathan David. He wasn't like at Louisville on the sidelines being like, this kid's good. Let me get him a try out in Belgium. And then uh, you didn't travel over to Belgium and be like, you know what? You're going to score a lot of goals in this league and in the Europa League. And then we are going to go to Vienna and become a French fan. So, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, it's more like the, 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 the crop of players that are playing are more interested in doing yeah. better. And, yeah, I'm going to – if Tom says he's mar- noticed markedly, like I have been watching the youth pay-to-play model. I'm a huge critic of it. Obviously, I'm pretty yeah. cynical when it comes to that. Um, and I think that that's what holds Canadian athletes back. Uh, and again, I talk about the disproportionate amount of athletes that come out of Quebec. Yeah, because Quebec does have these programs where they get to play for free in their schools. That really helps them out. So, um, yeah, but I, you're, you're right. There has been a change uh, between Jason DeVos, uh, sorry, in the quality of uh, Canada soccer since Jason DeVos arrived. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're going to say there's no correlation whatsoever, I think that it would be very hard to make that point. Um, I, I, I just tend to be a little more cynical. I think there's probably more external factors to play than, than what the CSA is. When CSA steps up and starts organizing programs for kids that can't actually afford to play organized soccer, then I'm really going to get on board and say, you know what, the CSA is doing the right thing. They're sponsoring the right organizations and working with the right local partners. But until then, um, until you know they still continue to only regulate the pay-to-play model, I'm not really going to be on board with uh, um, giving them too much credit for these um, kids that are coming out of trying circumstances and leading the Canadian national team. That's fair, 100%. And I think, but I think that uh, you just like the fact that the MLS academies are getting are, are have been involved. And I think that if the Canadian Premier League continues to be its relative path to success, if and it doesn't go down the various routes of previous Canadian national leagues that just descended into infighting and chaos. If it maintains something, I think that'll be a boon as well, because I think that those clubs hopefully will still will start having academies as well and that kind of stuff. So it's on both the men's and the women's side. There's only nothing but positives in Canadian soccer. Yeah, agreed. And the women's gold medal. Hey, you know what, Tom? Actually, I should qualify the last thing that probably has me a little bit cynical about the CSA is the demise of the Ottawa Fury and the fact that I haven't really been able to get behind Atletico um, just because the the the, the issues around um, you know, the CSA wasn't what blocked uh, Atletico's participation in the uh, USL to continue to operate. Uh, not Atletico, but the Furious participation Furious. in the USL. But I don't feel like they really came out and stuck up for the Fury either. Uh, and that, you know, and I was like, it's great after, you know, oh, you know, they wanted to be out of soccer. Well, they've been losing millions of dollars every year on this team. So um, allowing them to operate, I, I still get on board with it. You know, I, we're very lucky that, you know, a huge European club decided to come and establish and be the generous, you know, benefactor that puts a team back in Ottawa. Um, but it could have gone sideways and we could have no team as well. So yeah. I think that's the other thing with me when we talk about local and getting people interested. Um, I didn't really see the CSA go to bat for the Ottawa Fury and, and the management there. And that's that's also another thing that kind of you know sticks with me when we, when we try to give the CSA credit. So. No, that, that's completely fair. And Jay, we've had this discussion about the the pay-to-play model. We, we've gone we've gone on, on length talking about it, how um, we, we don't support it we, in the sense that like you're, you're going to lose all these these talents, you know, because literally they can't afford it. I mean, so, yeah. so then that's why you saw all these players coming out of Toronto and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and the, the pretty much elite of, of, of society was playing for, for the national team or getting, getting to a place where it's just like, you aren't that good. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. So well, go ahead, Tom. I think the discussion of pay to play is more of an existential conversation. We as a country need to have, 
about youth sports because soccer is not the only mm-hmm. pay to play. Hockey yep. is now uh, you could, you have to it's a rich kid sport. Um, baseballs get in that way. Uh, any elites, any sport to get to the elite level, it's pay to play. And I think that it's or most sport. I mean, I think that's holding us back. And with the exception of the sport attitude program, which are fantastic, but we don't have enough of them. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's not like we're in the states where you know people will pay to go watch a high school game, therefore the school can fund you know yeah, yeah. the team and kids can play for free, and you know they have all these you know they can hire coaches and all these things. We don't have any, and like you said, hockey. You know, like me, my dad could barely afford you know with a good job and two incomes in the home, barely afford to put my my brother through elite level hockey. Uh, and at the end, you know, he, he was too small and he get drafted. So you know, you see it. And now, you know, I talk with some of the other dads that had kids around you know this age group, and, and they say, yeah, well, we can never afford it now. It's so much more expensive now. So it absolutely is, and you see that in the complete lack of diversity in the NHL. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, like there's. If it's only those kids that play, well, you're gonna... same thing with like pro cycling. I watch pro cycling. I love pro cycling, but I mean, like, we're acting. It's not just a whole bunch of European white guys. It is because they're the ones who can afford to have bicycles. Yeah, yeah, a four to five thousand dollar bicycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Absolutely, guys. Um, that's so that's it. That's it for D Canada. We kind of talked about our results. Went a bit on a rant. You know what I mean? Like that. That's good though. That's good. I, I like this. Um, there's nothing wrong with societal issues holding back the Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Wanting, there's nothing wrong with loving the fact that Canada is doing well and wanting them to do even better. You know I mean, I, I totally, I can totally, totally appreciate that for sure. Well, you know what? I, you know, I, I had some birthday money and uh, I, I, I treated myself to a Jonathan David shirt. So that's on the way. Oh, black uh, yeah. nice. No, the black one, yeah. Because yeah. I saw the black one, and I was like, that is clean. That's that it. is the best looking Canada jersey I've seen. That's years. it. Yeah. All right. All right, guys, let's let's take a quick break before part two, okay? Part two, my friends. Part two. I think I'm gonna have to put like some made-up sponsor in between. I got it, man. I got it. I'll come up with some music or something. <laughs> Oh goodness! Um, let's jump to your. Sorry. So Tom's gonna beatbox. Oh, for sure, man. right? <laughs> Whitey Whiterson's beatboxing, right? <laughs> Matter, don't you don't you have a guitar hanging somewhere in that room? Me? Yeah. No. no. Oh. <laughs> I am musically. God, not bad. all not all white people have guitars. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> Oh goodness, guys! Let's jump to Europe because uh, let me let me hit you with some Barca uh, uh, gossip right now. Gossip uh, news. Um, so I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Rakuten and Beko have pulled out as their sponsor. Sponsor, right? Um, I did not know that, but hell yes, that's cool. yeah. Because of and Dembele, I hope. Um, I don't know why. That I don't I don't see any reason why it's happening, but. Um, this is this is big, man. Like Barcelona can't afford to be losing income. You know what I mean? They they can't afford this. I don't know. As of right now, it looks like they don't have any any sponsors. I think they'll still have them for this year, but uh, they're this the shirt sponsor. They don't have any right now. Um, That's not ideal for them. No, no. And um, they've also now lost three. It appear to be three um, commercial like marketing directors. Okay, um, so 
things are not well, but don't, do not fret. They have Koman. And they have Luke Dijon, who is bigger threat than Neymar, according to, to Ronald Koman. Absolutely delusional, guys. The, like, what the? I, like, listen, I understand you guys are a bit on like the, the bargain bin right now. You know what I mean? And that's okay. But don't try to lie to the fans. You know, don't try to lie to this, the world out there that Luke Dijon, who barely was a threat at Sevilla, is is better is a bigger threat than than Neymar. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. You know what I mean. I also saw that they've lost um one of their strikers, former Middlesbrough striker Martin Brathwaite. I like to have to oh, throw that God. in there. Is that <laughs> he's injured? He's injured. Oh, okay. oh he's injured. Because I was yeah. thinking he started the season well. He scored a few goals. I thought. Yeah. You know what, Tommy? I'm not going to lie. He started the season out very well, and and he yeah. was actually pretty uh, a huge positive coming out of those those games too. So that's believe it or not, that's actually a loss for them. And I'm kind of like, oh shit, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say like honestly, I don't know what Rakuten's reason to leave was, but I know that it came up when those videos surfaced of uh, Dembele and Klisman mocking uh, the Japanese service people and Klisman, you know, doing his fake Japanese noises uh, that. Rakuten was a big Japanese sponsor, and you know what? How there were questions about how they would feel about that, and if that's why they pulled out, uh, you know, credit to them for sticking to that. Because honestly, I just watched these men line up during France qualifiers and score three goals and secure important results for France. But honestly. I would rather not see him in the team ever again after that. Yeah, Fair enough. Just, yeah, or no. at least like make him actually do something to, you know, no, I'm not saying never again is over. He should never play football. Yeah, but I'm saying like make him do some sort of grassroots work with the Asian community in France. Uh, make him do something in Japan, uh, you know, do put him through the ringer, like honestly, before he gets to join that French team again. Because that's the other thing too. Yeah, he's been a great player. France have so many players that they can play. Uh, you know, sticking with that guy through this is because, you know, we need his goals. It's, just, it's, it's really bad. It sets a really bad example. It's another case of unchecked racism that, you know, they put up an Instagram post and it's over. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm sick of that. I Like, again, the Juventus women's account thing, too. Yeah, I was I really that. not happy about that. And, again, that's just been swept under the rug. Argentina just won the Copa America with Edwin Cardenas. I think he was either on uh, – or, no, sorry, uh, was in Colombia. Just won a third-place medal celebrating with Edwin Cardenas. Um, you know, that, that that guy, like, again, he's a complete dirtbag who, who did the same thing, like the eye thing. Yeah. Uh, when they were playing uh, South Korea, that guy should should has never been made to pay anything. Nobody even really talked about it when he did it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of sick of this in football. Um, and especially, like, I, I will say when it's uh, racism, again, it is personal for me. But when it has to do with, like, any Asian person, it's just kind of like, whatever, you know. Put up a, a, show a couple of lines in an Instagram or a tweet, and it, it's over. Everybody moves past, and there's no consequences. So. No, I... Yeah. I can get and, behind that, Jay, for sure. And yeah, I, so I'm saying I, is if Rackham pulled out for that, that's fucking consequences, and hopefully they start thinking this over. Yeah. yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that the the punishment does not – there's double standards in punishment, and some sort of penance should have been done. Griezmann should have been put to some sort of penance. And it's not like France are hurting for strikers. 
you know, you can you you can you can you can bring back and uh, you you call up, you know, uh, Fekir or uh, Moussa Dembele from Lyon or one of these guys. Uh, yeah. You 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 can go an international cycle without Griezmann. Yeah, you can go an international cycle without any of these guys, really. So, which is, and literally any player on that field, which is, you know, they just went one without Kalte. So, I agree, Tom. Like, you know, when you have that much depth to play this guy because you're scared, I mean, come on. You sent Benzema away for something he hasn't been convicted of, and you're going to leave Griezmann in the team after something like that. Like, I just. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, it's, no, it's I, really, it sucks. I mean, if you could, if you could send a guy like Benzema in exile, but you're going to let Griezmann play after that without any sort of punishment, it's terrible. Yeah, it's definitely angry, man. It's definitely, you get, you get pissed off, you know what I mean, to see the injustice, and I, and I totally get it, 100%. Oh, I remember in Marseille, too, like, we go around, you know, Hiroki Sakai was playing, and the stadiums would just chant sushi at him. I'm like, like, yeah, this is France, man. Like, this, and that, again, like, nobody would talk about it. But, like, literally, like, whole sections of stands would be shanting sushi at him. Um, you know, it, it's, it's it's horrible. Like, it really is horrible. And it's really unchecked um, in, in, in the French public because it doesn't – it's not seen as, like, a, a big deal. Uh, so. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. Um, st- sticking with uh, Spain – um I'm, I'm not sure i don't know if, if it's right for la liga president to come out javier tevas come out and say that real madrid have enough money to sign both Kylian mbappe and uh elin hala next summer um that's because mbappe is going to cost zero dollars yes <laughs> agreed agreed and then like uh, the rumor is that Haaland's um, bio clause is in 66, 66 million. Yeah, you, you, you told me this. I believe yeah. you told me that it dropped yeah. to like 65, 66. Exactly. Like Tom, yeah. you're the encyclopedia. What's, what's the number? Uh, I, I have to look it up, but it's something like that. But he didn't have a bio clause in his dormant contract until summer 2022. Yeah. Um, we bring Tommy in for facts. Hit us with facts, and then he says he has to look it up, man. We did Listen, Kip didn't invest in your desktop for you not to have Google open. You know? Yeah, pretty sure, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's like in six something or sixty-five million euros. Yeah. Guys buy it, it is. It I don't is. remember. My brain can only hold so many facts. Uh, yeah, but that's the key. Is that it was only so basically in the summer, Holland will have. His pick of any anywhere he wants to go in Europe. Anyway, I think what what I'm trying to say is that um, is is the president. Sorry, but like what like what are you gonna do with Benzema? I know Benzema is getting older, and you gotta phase him out at some point. But like, what are you gonna do with all of those strikers? Honestly, because Benzema technically hasn't really slowed down. He's actually picked it up since Ronaldo left. I, oh, I, I, is he finally on a contract or not? Bale, Bale actually just did his hamstring and he's out for, for weeks now. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's the Bale story. One of uh, what a story the Bale, the Bale Real Madrid experiment, whatever. Um, never hits the ice, always injured. Ah, poor guy. I don't know. Maybe he's too fast for his own good, for his own body, maybe. I don't know. Um, but 
Uh, that that being said, with the way I feel is that I don't know if La Liga president should be coming out and showing. I guess is there some form of bias toward like some sort of like preference, saying like, "Yo, don't worry, Madrid can afford these people." You know what I mean? Like, uh, or he's just kind of pushing La Liga in the sense that like it'll get better, you know, because you've you've lost Ronaldo, you've lost Messi. You know what I mean, like, um, yeah, like who's the big draw? Who would you say the big star, the big draw in La Liga is right now? I who is it? The, 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 the fucker came out. Sorry, pardon my language. The guy came out and said, "We don't have to worry about that. We have uh, Vinicius." And it's just like, what the fuck? I know he's playing. Players do not like Vinicius. No, honestly, I was literally talking to Mendy, telling him not to pass to that guy. He said, "This dude's playing against us. Stop passing to him." Credit to him, though. He stepped up. He stepped up his game. His finishing is getting better. Um, but like, it's. It's it's really like you're out to lunch, man. But I I think that he's a desperate attempt to try to keep pumping, promoting the La Liga brand in order to keep the sponsors happy and to keep to try to placate sponsors, try to or try to impress sponsors, try to impress TV companies. It's very much like a just a, a desperate, almost a desperate attempt to like look, we're still cool. Give us money, please. Then give get, us money. Then get behind Atletico Madrid. Get behind yeah. who have the best attack in the league. You know what I mean? They, they, like, get behind that. Like, push something else. It's just, sometimes I feel like some of these, it could, it could, it could come from, like, presidents of, of certain clubs or even presidents of, of the league itself, that sometimes they live in their own bubble. I mean, they, they believe their own bullshit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or, or they think that the fan base of viewers aren't football educated. You know what I mean? Like, they, like, if short memory kind of thing right it, it's really and and i said this when last year when when messi was going to leave barcelona i'm like no one's going to come to barcelona and for f- with the pull of playing for with uh with frankie frankie dijon for for example you know what i mean like no disrespect to him but he he's he doesn't have that pull kind of thing so but to to your points uh jay what is the big pull of la liga right now and I just I just literally fact-checked you, uh, and you are correct. Vinicius has four goals in four matches so far this season, and they're over three matches. So that's that's pretty that's pretty damn good. Uh, but I'm going to say, in he's been there for um, he's been there, this is his fourth season, yeah. and he's mm-hmm. he spent one in Castilla. Uh, in the previous three seasons, where he has racked up. Um, let's see, about 113 appearances. Uh, he scored four goals, five goals, and six goals, respectively. <laughs> so he's, he's, he is, he has not been a, like he's got less goals than like defenders score in a season, but yeah, yeah, yeah he had three goals in 35 La Liga games last year and yeah. uh, three goals in Europe. Yeah, yeah, he had six and 49 overall. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, but maybe he's turned the corner. Maybe it's taken him a while. Uh, but we'll see. We, we we shall see what what happens there. But I just felt like I should share those kind of like little little funny things coming out of La Liga right now. Um, yeah, I mean to that question, Tom. I suppose we should throw it to Tom give him a chance to win. Who is the star, the biggest star in La Liga right now? And that's the thing is that it's not young guys. If you look at it, um, guys like. Uh, well, Benzema's top scorer. You still have um, Sergio Aguero when he's fit. Um, it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Griezmann back at Atletico. Yeah, but I mean, Griezmann's, you know, 
yeah. been around. They know new stars, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it's not, Modric, I guess, you know. yeah, but again, those guys, I mean, you might say Joao Felix, but really, I don't know. He, he came with a big ass transfer fee, but it, would you say that he has been a star of La Liga? He's he's among the, the big stars in La Liga. Like, no. I don't even know that I put him up there with. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess, yeah. it, it, and, that, and that's the and the, that's the big existential question is that they don't have that global megastar. Yeah, the marquee player. Yeah, yeah. the flagship yeah. player. Because even Hazard, Hazard has, has you know he's relatively quiet. <laughs> You know, I mean, exa exactly. So um, it is, you know, it is a project that Javier Tebas has to do to, to bring up La Liga, to promote La Liga. The clubs within La Liga, too, have, have to do a lot. Um, and, and I think the, where they're going to have to do it is in the Champions League. That's where it's going to they're, they're going to show Europe that they're still relevant. And I think they can, to, to be to be completely honest. I'm, I'm not going to write off any any uh, Spanish. I, top of my head, I can't remember who has the hardest of, of the Spaniards in, in terms of uh, the group stage. But generally speaking, I'm not going to write them all off um, because they, I think they're still gonna, going to be relevant. But again, the, the, you're trying hard, man. You're trying hard to promote certain uh, players. But if they get Mbappe, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. No, I was just going to say almost exactly that. I was going to say, like, I think the other thing that you have to look at is if, if Mbappe had moved this summer, Mbappe would be the flagship player in La Liga. He would be the big side. Mind you, Mbappe going pretty much anywhere, he would probably, because he's probably considered the great, the best young talent, the next best player in the world once, you know, Ronaldo and Messi fade a little bit. Um, I mean, if Neymar went back, he'd probably be the flagship player. If Lukaku had gone to Spain, he might be the flagship player. If Kevin De Bruyne moved, he'd probably be the flagship player. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, they, you know, there are big stars in other leagues that uh, that you can point to that that, that would be uh, the biggest star if they moved to Spain, and there were a few of them. So, yeah, I, I mean, really not a good look for La Liga, probably. But it could be just a maybe this. I mean, you know, it happens where leagues, you know, fade a little bit and then they return to prominence. Um, so it could be this just a bit of a, a bit of a, a blip for for La Liga, and they could be back um, in a few years. You know, they still have a lot of commercial pulling power. Like Real Madrid and Barcelona still have a lot of yeah. commercial pulling power. The fan base is huge. That that's the truth. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's. But yeah, building it up is going to be something. And at, I guess at the same time, the league was spoiled, right? With uh, the NES as a Xavi, you know, the Pep years will say, and then you had Jose Mourinho. And previous to that, you had the Galacticos, right? So after that, you had, you know, because that's the other thing too. When we talk about like, okay, I mean, it really doesn't matter what the fuck Betis is doing. What matters is that either Barca or Real Madrid are winning a lot of Champions League titles. That what's, that's what says... We are the best league in in, or in the world because yeah you're right you, the Pep era was good and before you had the Galacticos and after the Pep era you had Zidane winning three back to back championships yeah. I mean like they were they were the they were the league because that's where the best teams play so if we don't get back to that or if like you know uh, Chelsea just won if if Man City if Chelsea pulls off another one or Manchester City or Manchester United uh, are able to string a couple together and the you know the Champions League stays in English England and Liverpool I think two years ago right so it was Liverpool Paris and then Chelsea so yeah say like Manchester one of the Manchester clubs Chelsea 
or Man City win one more in the next two years, and you have three out of five winners from the Premier League, and then all of a sudden, well, who cares about Spain? What really matters is uh, is, is the Premier League. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, it's like my, you know, there's only one reason why I used to watch Celtic, man. Nakamura, Nakamura's free kicks. That's all I cared about. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all. And when he left, I thought, what is the point of watching Celtic? They, they have a new Japanese star. Oh, he's, he's good. Really. He's good, yeah. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> really, I, I used to love that Nakamura's free kick. I'm like, I wish my right foot can do that. You know, like, <laughs> like it was, it was, it was insane. Um, okay, let's, what are we moving on here? Well, let's move on to, oh, uh, are we, are we going to talk about debuts in the EPL? Yes. Because mm-hmm. I got a bit of a beef, you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Got... We, uh, we need to cover this beef. The whole okay. For, first of all, first of all, two, two things, actually, actually. Hold on. Let me sit up a bit. I'm sitting up. <laughs> sitting up. <laughs> he, is, he, he is markedly improving his posture at this moment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Um, Sorry, Tom. <laughs> United absolutely came out a massive winner in terms of controlling the narrative as to why they were able to get Ronaldo back. Okay. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer, who is a journalist, uh, I don't know where he's based out of, but I know he's from Barcelona. He's from Catalonia. And so um, he usually has very good inside information with. Um, uh, you, you know, like the, a lot of the, the Spaniard news and also Messi, Messi and Ronaldo related things. Um, it, he posted, and I'm going to paraphrase that pretty much Ronaldo's number one choice was Man City. Um, but man, but uh, Pep needed to sell an attacker. They were stacked and there were no, there were no buyers. So long story short, um, they, they told Ronaldo, I don't know if we're going to be able to offload anyone. And then Mendes, uh, we had it need to have a plan B and that's where Manchester United got involved. And um, right now the, the, some of the narrative out there is saying that um, uh, Mendes played city, you know, and then big miracle to get more money from, from United and blah, blah, blah. And then Fergie stepped in. But anyway, that, that they ended up winning the narrative saying that we got him back. No problem. Ronaldo won because the media is focused on, Nothing but him. The prodigal son returns. He's back home. Um, you have well, you have Marcus Rashford. You have players like tweeting out. You know what I mean? Like, can't wait to play with you. Meanwhile, Marcia's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Did you see uh, in the in the previous weekend the post match interview with David De Gea and Paul Pogba? And they, they interview asked him, what do you think about Ronaldo coming? And De Gea squints and just goes, who? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I remember. I, I definitely remember that. Oh, on that note, before I forget, um, I've read today that, and, and credit to Ronaldo for this, um, and, and United, is um, Paul Pogba's contract is, ended, is up in the summer 2022. And apparently he's... Pogba is feeling very positive about the moves that United did over the summer, and he's contemplating renewing with uh, Man United. Um, a journalist, oh, damn it, I can't remember who who tweeted this out, but it was a journalist. So that that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I don't know, uh, don't bet on this or anything like that, but 
Um, that that's definitely a positive for that's, that's the game that Paris is playing too. That's yeah. the game Paris is playing with Mbappe because like literally, how are you going to turn down two hundred million euros for a guy whose contract is up next summer? They must feel that Messi is going to change the attitude so much, and I would not be surprised to see them unveil some big signings ahead of the January window to try to convince Mbappe that the best place for him to be successful and to win the Champions League is in Paris. Yeah. And extend his contract. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So um you my opinion, I want to see Pogba somewhere else. Yeah, I would love I, to I, see I'd love to see him and Mbappe go to Madrid and that would be uh, that would really boost. That would really boost the La Liga again if you got those two over there playing together, and they can pick up Conte just for fun too. They ship off Casemiro the other way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, the thing is, for me, is that how long is Pogba gonna keep buying into this project without result? You know, I mean, he's 28 years old now. The problem too is, and I, I just don't understand it. Is you know, De Bruyne and Varane can't complain as that fantastic player. They bought in Sancho. I was kind of like, do you really need another attacker for that kind of money? Okay, whatever. He's a hot young property. He'll come good. Uh, you know, they, they bring in Ronaldo at that price. He's a global superstar. Don't really have a problem. It's not like you paid $100 million for him or something like that. Yeah. Like Juventus did. Um, <laughs> but, Mike, you know, the, the thing is, what you really needed was to put somebody behind Pogba who was not named McTominay or Fred. Uh, and I like Matic. I watched the game and thought he had moments where I'm like, this is why I like you. This is why I think you're a good player. And then the other moments where I'm kind of like, what are you doing? Like, why are you there? And how did they just, you know, step up? Why did you try that in that position? Um, so, you know, as much as I personally like Matic and think he's a good player, and I think he showed it when they, they used him as, as part of the swap deal for David Luiz and he won, you know, Portuguese player of the year. Um, he, it's, it's, he, he's just not at this this version of Matic at this point in his career is not what they needed. They needed to spend big on uh, a defensive midfielder, and they didn't do it. So, um, so when you're talking about who, how long will they buy into this project, I don't know. I really don't know. It's, who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll they'll send him over to Madrid and get Casemiro in return for part of the Pogba deal, and then all of a sudden they'll solve that problem. But then they'll lose, um, you know, the marquee player in Paul Pogba. And that's and like I've you know I've been pretty open with my 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 critics of uh, Pogba's game at United sometimes and yes there there are other factors as well but um, I do he's quality he's quality everyone everyone sees it so I do want to see him somewhere else on top of that it will weaken United from a Liverpool point of view it will weaken United because they're not going to replace him who are they going to replace him with you know what I mean I'd be there's very no one, curious there's to no see. one you replace Paul Pogba with yeah. there's no and that and that's. With. Indeed, and and that's including the money they're willing to spend. Like they're United are clearly willing to spend money. I just don't know who else you're going to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're it, we're not in this market anymore where it's just like who's available. No, no, you throw money at it and be like, give me in, kind of thing. Give me this player. This is this is the, how much I'm willing to, to offer you. Every like, well, but remember back in the day, the transfers used to first thing used to say is like who's available. No, that's not a thing anymore. Just because yeah. like you just pay it kind of thing. But um. So yeah, so Ronaldo makes his his re, what do you call it? Re, second debut, re de, debut. De, de, I, I don't know, man. Like, debut, debut, yeah, whatever. You yeah, yeah. Hey, he got his number seven back. He's playing number nine. Um, you know what? Good, good for him. Good for him. But I will, 
I will say this, guys. I will say this. This is, I saw a headline that said, is this the greatest debut ever? I, you know, I kind of overlooked the fact that it's not his first debut. I overlooked that because he scores two goals against Newcastle. Okay. One's a total tap in mistake by the goalie. Um, credit to him for being in the right position. I'm not going to say anything about that. Okay. A poacher is a poacher. A goal is a goal. Okay. Credit to him for being on his toes for that. Second goal, you know, they're one, one, and then he, he hits it with his left foot. Powerful, but straight at the goalie. I would expect him more from the goalie, but you know what? Great run, but the pass was fantastic too. Okay. Um, so he scores two. No problem. Crowd goes wild. The commentators are like salivating over him. Like, oh my God. And the whole time this is like, he had minimal involvement except for that. Um, Whatever. It's fine. Before that though, before that, before that, unfortunately the Crystal Palace and Spurs game happened at seven three in the morning here. And uh, I was before United game. And even during that commentary, they're still talking about um, everyone's going to be watching Old Trafford. But what we did, what, what they didn't realize is that they saw the best debut of the season in Edouard. Tommy, how do you pronounce his first name? Odson Edouard. Thank you, Tommy. That's <laughs> why we have you there, Tommy. See what I'm saying? This guy's man. Okay. This guy comes in, so so he's he's an old Celtic boy, right? Yep. And he comes in and scores twenty six seconds into his Crystal Palace debut. Twenty six seconds. Let me just check you. I mean, he's a, he's an old Celtic boy. He's a he's a PSG boy. That's what he is. Oh shit! Okay. Well, he started he started yeah. his career okay, at PSG, okay. but he really he got his he played a little bit with PSG, but he really okay. got his. Most yeah. of his professional career was Celtic. No, no, no I, I totally agree. I'm just saying, like he, you know, from for I think he spent almost a decade at PSG in the youth okay. academy. So, then, so yeah. Celtic by way of Paris. Yeah, yes. no, he, no, With no. But Tom is absolutely right. I don't think he actually played a league match for for um, okay. for Palais Saint Germain. He went on loan to another French club, and so then he went on to yeah, that's what it was. And then he went to Celtic on loan and exploded, and then they bought okay. him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, you're right. He he absolutely like broke and became a star at Celtic. Yes. So Jay, that's strike one. Like I'm still right. You're that's strike one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he is he is very much a PSG boy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just kidding. I think, uh, I think he moved to Paris when he was a, like he was still yeah he was still very young. Um, because yeah he he was still very young. I think he moved to Paris and he joined like a small club there and then PSG at Paris Saint Germain. And then this stud scores four minutes later. Two goals. He scored two goals in about six minutes. How's that for a debut? How is that not a not a not on the headlines here, man? Yeah. 23 years old, first ever Premier League appearance. Uh, you score two goals in about 10 minutes. Um, yeah, exactly, hundred percent. I mean, it's by he was by far the by far the debut of the of the season so far, and one of the best debuts we've seen in a long time. And but because he's not CR seven, um, and he plays for Crystal Palace and not at Old Trafford, nobody's talking about him. 
I think also the significance of it as well, because, you know, Patrick Vieira's Youth Revolution at Crystal Palace has come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, they've had pretty, I wouldn't say dire, because I think they have a draw in two losses, maybe. I could be mistaken, I'm not sure. But it hasn't got off to a flying start, and I think that, um, you know, people were pretty skeptical from the outset. And then, you know, what he said was, I, this is the player I need, I need Otsuna Dual, and he got him. And for him to deliver like that, on his debut is really, really incredible. And I, I really enjoyed that game too uh, because Crystal Palace did not shy away. Um, they they went at uh, Spurs. And um, Jay, you mentioned what, uh, something about Harry Kane. Uh, oh, I and- mean, I just, I, you know, it's, 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 it's curious. Um, I know that uh, you know Harry Kane always takes all the plaudits, but it's 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 a little bit surprising how little they've talked about uh, how ineffective he was without a certain salt help in in the side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that's that's one hundred percent spot on. Um, I'm really, you know what? I'm actually, earlier in the season. Didn't, didn't they? Uh, sorry, didn't they open up their season with a win over Manchester City, in which Son scored the goal and Harry Kane was not on the team because he was still in Florida or whatever. So, yes, I don't know. correct. That's 100% correct. Um, after watching this Crystal Palace team, I'm actually going to pay a little more attention to them because I want, um, I, I, I kind of want uh, Vieira to succeed. Yeah. You know I mean, I, I really you, want to succeed. You, you want a manager to come in yeah. and make these daring choices and say, I'm going to field some young guys and I have new ideas and I'm going to do it this way. You need that. You need, you need like guys like Pep and Klopp who come in with their ideas that are different and they, their way of doing things. And you want to see it grow into something, you know, just like you saw the same thing when Vengu first came in the league and it was like, well, you guys aren't going to be drinking as much and I'm putting you on diets. And same thing with Beyonce at Leeds. You know, yeah. like like how refreshing is that to see new, interesting ideas and players developed and, and influenced in different ways, and then they present you with such a, uh, an interesting end product, uh, and 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 they challenge the norms of you know, oh, the Premier League is this and that and these old tired stereotypes, and and to say you know, you know what, there are plenty of ways to play football. Not that yours is wrong, but there are different ways to do this that can be very interesting, uh, and that is going to make ultimately make. Premier League football a better product overall. So I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, more power to this guy. Um, bring ideas in. He's a legend of the game as a player. He's a legend in England as a player, uh, as well as all over Europe and the world. So uh, you know, I, I would like to see him succeed. And if he's going to be going about his business this way, and he's going to take risks and he's going to do things when the pressure is hot, you know, more power to him. I, I look forward to seeing how this this, this plays out. And I think just to kind of wrap up the, the Crystal Palace thing is that um, not only new ideas of being brave, but taking on that job. Tommy, we had spoken about it last year, how so many other players were out of contract. I mean, so it was, we looked at it just like, what is Crystal Palace going to do? And so to come in and be like, yeah, I'm going to take this, this job and I'm going to, I'm going to run with it and, and see what I can do. And honestly, after that performance, I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pay attention. I, I want uh, to. I was worried for them because of the fact that it was such a big rebuild, and then one of their top, their their big, highly rated young guys, Ebreche Eze, well, got went out with a bad injury. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, how is he? They're going to gel. Is it going to be too late before? Um, you know, is it going to be another uh, uh, Frank De Boer where they're going to give him about six games and they're going to zero for six, and then he's out the door? Yeah. Uh, but credit, like you said, I mean, I'm 
I'm noticing. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention now because it's new and it's a very different philosophy from what Crystal Palace has been. Uh, and it looks as though they got a, he's got a good thing going. Yeah. And um, last thing I'll say is that he is also a person of color and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's rare that they don't get those opportunities. It's, yep. it's that stats are there. It's, this is in my opinion, stats are there and they, you know, uh, managers of color don't always get opportunities in the, in the EPL. So that's yeah. probably, I mean, look how bad, look how, uh, how little time Chris Hutton seemed to get like Newcastle been Chris Hutton, um, even though he was, he was, he was doing really well. Yeah. Yeah, he's the he's the one who brought Norwich up, right, and had a good start to their life in the Premier League. Am I mistaking him for someone else? I know he was at Norwich, but I I my timeline's all messed up. I'm not sure. I was thinking uh, he, yeah, he was with Norwich, and then he got them up, and they did well. And then he uh, he was with Newcastle. He got them promoted, and yeah, halfway right. during the promotion, the the, set, the season in the Premier League where they're mid table, he got replaced by Alan Pardew, right, to, with, Alan to, with no net benefit. And then he ended up Norwich, did well with them. And then he ended up with Brighton, did well with them. And now he's with, now he's with, Nottingham, now he's with Nottingham Forest and uh, not doing as well so far. If I'm not mistaken, like if he was the one who was managing Norwich when Simeon Jackson kind of bubbled. I won't say he burst onto the scene, but he bubbled for a little bit. I think I, anyway, I'm not sure. It could I be, I'm not sure. I would have to, yeah, I think he was... Simeon Jackson was there. Yeah, I think he might have signed Simeon Jackson. I'd have to. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, guys, in, in part three of the of the Kip review show, we're going to touch on uh, Leeds and Liverpool. So let's take a little break, and then we will be back in a minute. Part three, guys. Part three, and this is the big one. I know you Kippers have been listening to. The whole podcast, because you want to get to our thoughts on Leeds 0, Liverpool 3. Um, Jay, I know you're a Bielsa, huge Bielsa guy. I appreciate Bielsa as well. So this is a segment called what, Jay? The Marcelo Bielsa Appreciation Hour. (laughs) A recurring tip segment. That, that's the one. That's the one. I, I, even though I'm a Liverpool supporter, I can get behind that. I respect that. And we can always talk about Bielsa and how he has changed the game or the, what he believes in. It's fun. It's fun stuff. It's open, attacking football. And that's exactly, tell me, what we saw against Liverpool. Um, what, what do you want to start with first, Tommy? You want to talk about some lineups? Because um, we'll get to Harvey Elliott, but I mean, um, him starting was was a surprise for me, to be honest. Uh, not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a surprise for me. I mean, Klopp clearly mm-hmm. rates him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that um, Fabinho and Allison could play because I had the news came very late that they'd be allowed to play after all. So I was happy to see Fabinho. I was happy to see Thiago start. Uh, okay, Tommy, hold on. Let me cut you off for a second. Let's give some context there, man, because it's ridiculous. Why is it the Brazilian boys weren't going to play? So, yeah, because basically uh, Liverpool didn't want to release them to go play for Brazil because Brazil is a COVID red zone and also a t- bit of a tire fire of a country in general. Um, so they didn't. And then had they gone to go play for Brazil, they would have had to self ice The UK laws would give no ex- exemptions. So they would have had to um, quarantine for 10 days. So when they got back, so they would have guaranteed to miss a couple of games. 
because of the because of UK uh, quarantine rules. So Liverpool didn't release some other teams didn't release Brazil uh, South American players, and then so then Brazilian Federation complained to FIFA and tried to have them enforce the suspension rule, where they were supposed to be suspended for one game um, because of it. And eventually, after a bunch of back and forth, a bunch of wrangling, um, then they got the green light level. Uh, they got the suspension overturned. And let's big shocker: FIFA caved. Yeah. Big shocker, man. Those those tough guys from FIFA. Jesus, um, it was so petty. It was so ridiculous. And on top of that, um, they didn't have they didn't call up Richardson, but still they said like, oh, it's okay because we have good relations with that club because they did release Richardson for um, the the Copa and the the what do you call it the Olympics. So um, totally ridiculous. But but at one point I was just like, for fuck's sakes, like that's that's huge, right? Um, but it didn't work out that way. But Tommy, I'll let you get back to the to the lineup. Yeah, apart from that, there was nothing in any sense surprise. We knew that um Firmino wasn't going to be playing. So uh, the front three of Salah, Jota, and Mane, that was what we were that, that was what that was to be expected. Uh, and the back four has been the same, the regular back four all um all season. So um nothing really ex- unexpected apart from maybe Elliot um starting in the midfield. No, no, definitely. I think, I guess maybe I'm still not, um, until this point to, to, to kick off, I still wasn't fully, con- not convinced, but I was still, I guess I was still surprised that um, Klopp was giving so much of his trust to Elliot. Like, I, I still wasn't like, oh, shit, he's still doing it, right? So clearly he, he trusts him and rates him, right? Which, which is great. If you're going to keep an 18-year-old, um, then I, I do want him to play, right? Or you loan him out. I do want, but clearly without loaning him out, then play the man. So that was that was definitely good good to see there. Uh, Jay, you want me to bring you in for some some leads chat or kind of build on that? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole lineup because I don't think your listeners are that interested in the whole lineup for leads. But uh, I will say that Robin Cock is still uh, out. He played in that. He played 90 minutes in that. 5-1 spanking they took to, to Manchester United in the first match of the season and then um, yeah, he's been injured ever since which is honestly has been a very prominent theme um, for all of the, the summers of these Leeds when they entered the Premier League they spent 100 million pounds basically on, on bringing in some Premier League caliber players or players that Bielsa also wanted to make the jump and uh, last season you barely saw any of them except for Rafinha Honestly, Rodrigo was kind of in and out of the side. He, he did play well. I thought he was good, but he wasn't always available. Robin Koch, you, know, you barely saw. Diego Llorente, you know, had a, he had another muscular injury. He went down after about, I think, 30 minutes into this game. Yeah. Again, another muscular injury. Like the guy just, I don't know if his body's just giving up on him. I feel really bad for him. You know, he's a Spanish international. He's a very good player, but he, he hasn't been able to, to make it through full fitness. Um, in comes Pascal Strike, again, a young Dutch guy that, again, they, they kind of acquired. But they, they've, they've very much been operating. I think you look at the lineup, and, it's, you know, it is uh, – we had talked about this after the United match, but it is very much a, a championship side from a couple of years ago. You've got Liam Cooper there. You've got Luke Ayling there, Junior uh, – Stuart Dallas is still there. Uh, Jack Harrison started. Calvin Phillips, obviously. Uh, Patrick Bamford. Like, again, then you've got Rafinha Rodrigo, uh, who are in there. 
and uh, and, and Midi as the goalkeeper again was there during the championship days as well. So so very much still kind of this championship team with not a lot of the new signings team much playing time, and uh, because yeah they've all kind of been injured and unavailable. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I think what what I really looked forward to this to this game was going to be the open space for Mane and Salah. Um, like I mean, Jota's Jota's good, but we don't look at Jota for his lightning speed, right? Not saying it's slow, but it's just not. But we look look uh, for him for that. Um, so that was, you know, it's. I was nervous though. I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous because. I guess maybe again, based on maybe um, having center backs injured and stuff, I keep forgetting that we do have Van Dyke. We do have a, a Matt Tip who's playing well. Uh, so I need to kind of remember that. Uh, but definitely was open from like the first second. It was actually, I was, I was surprised. It was a very entertaining match. Um, like I, I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I mean, like I watched the leads. I'm not like a like long Leeds supporter, as you mentioned, I'm more of just, I'm a guy who really respects what Bielsa does. And I have been watching Leeds uh, pretty much every match last season and then this season, just because honestly, like they're the best ticket in the Premier League when they're on. Um, you know, I don't think we've seen it enough this season yet, but last season they were honestly a joy to watch every single time. Pretty much. There were a couple of stinkers, but they were pretty much a joy to watch every single time. And we haven't yet seen it this season. So if you've been watching Leeds this year, uh, yeah, I thought I thought like you said it was it was open to say like Rodrigo should have had leads up one nothing in the fifth minute. You know, he was he the Rafinha cut him back to ball, he was wide open in front of goal and I mean he hit it right at Allison. I don't know I don't know what happened there, but it was just a, a horrible finish, completely unacceptable at that level. No, I, yeah, I, I, think, I, Go I ahead, think that I think that leads once they introduced Dan James into the squad. I mean Dan James is a guy, he's one of these players who's Number one ability, his ability is his running, his speed, right? He's There's some question marks about his technical ability, but I think his speed will really fit well into this lead side and allow more excitement because it really allowed them to um, be more effective on the counter. No, yeah, I absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, but, 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 but I think I was really excited to see also uh, Fabinho and Thiago. And these two oh went about their business very, very well, uh, especially Thiago. Um, I was going to say, especially Fabinho, but go ahead. <laughs> I think the, the thing, the reason why I say this is because um, uh, Fabinho made, made the headlines. You know, you saw as good, uh, how good he was and, and stuff like that. It's just like Matip playing next to Van Dyke. Uh, they'll talk about Van Dyke, and, and rightly so, but Matip is playing just as good right now. You know what I mean? His passing, his, his uh, you know, being able to read the ball, the vision and all that. Um, so same thing, like we know how good Thiago is, but sometimes he doesn't get the, the credit, right? And so this is one of those games where you thought like, okay, um, this is going to be back and forth, back and forth. Can he play that? Can he play that? And he proved that, you know what, when you needed to calm the ball down, he did. Yeah. You know, and and that, was, that, that was class. And I really enjoyed that. I, I will say that I've been leaning towards Fabinho more because, you know, we talk about the way that Leeds strings passes together and things like that. And sometimes it's tougher to do against the big teams. And I think it was tough against Liverpool this go around, especially because Fabinho, when he's there to cut things out, it gets very, very difficult. And I think he did that quite effectively uh, in, in that match. I've seen a similar effect when, Con like, they play against Chelsea and Conte jumps in. Sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, no, I just, uh, I never did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Tommy, you messed up the flow there, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to put your head up. I was like, yeah. Oh, no, I'm just fidgeting with a pen. I'm just fidgeting with a pen. <laughs> you know oh, the rules. Yeah. Use that the hand button there. <laughs> <laughs> the raise hand function. Yeah, no. I'm going to be, and that's, that's, that's why I'm kind of leaning toward uh, Fabinho's contribution. But, yeah, I think, I think seeing – Tiago out there playing, you know, a full match. That's great. I mean, like, because I don't think we've seen enough of that for Spain during the summer and probably for Liverpool last year. I think that having Fabinho there allows uh, Tiago to be the a bit more creative because he's he's one of the most creative passers in the game, at least in the Premier League. And allowing him a little more creative, having Fabinho allows him to have a bit more creative freedom and allows Elliot allowed Elliot to be the runner. Uh, Tiago to be the creative sort of passing vision and Fabinho to be the destroyer. I think that, that the, those the three of those, they complement each other really well. And you, and you know what's, um, Jay, like Bielsa sticks to his guns, but like with a team like Liverpool, it's really like, okay, you want to play this game? You know what I mean? It's like, all right, because we do have Trent that's coming up the wing. And, and he's, you saw Trent game forward a lot. And he's not slow either. You had Robertson coming up the, the wing, the other wing as well. Um, a very interesting match, though, between uh, Junior Firpo and um, Salah. It was, it, was pretty, it was pretty interesting, you know, because uh, Firpo is, is pretty fast as well. Um, but it definitely suited Salah's game. It definitely suited Mane's game. Um, go ahead, Jay. You're about to say something. Well, I was, I was just going to jump in and say Firpo is also like he's a new summer signing from this season. Like they really haven't, they really haven't bought that much this year. Daniel James, Junior Firpo, Junior Firpo was a replacement for Alioski, and honestly, I think like if they still had Alioski, they probably would have been better off in this one just because he's more familiar with what Leeds do. And Junior Firpo, well, I think is a good player and will eventually be good for Leeds. Um, I, I don't think he's like he's just not like like it takes a while to get down that fluency. And Tom, you were talking about once Daniel James gets in there, the pace that he offers is going that blistering pace is going to be useful. But um, uh, too many times, I thought he was trying to cut inside instead of running in and trying to create because again, he's he's just not in sync with what they do, right? So uh, Firpo was another kind of case like that. Like yeah, the one on one battle is interesting, but yeah, he's just not. Um, he's just not integrated yet, and it's going to take time. They really just haven't had enough time to, 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 to integrate him yet. So, but yeah, no, like an interesting duel. Um, I, I still haven't even watched enough of Junior Firpo to, to make an opinion. I think he's good, but we'll, we'll see over the stretch of the next 10 games if he's actually starting to make improvements within the system. Yeah, I agree. Even at Barcelona, he didn't get like – he wasn't out there that much either. You know, So it's really oh. – it's still pretty much up in the air, the kind of player he – is and can become i don't know if, if uh, i can't tell you how high a ceiling is or not I, i'm not sure no um yeah, but no. one one thing we have to casala scored first so we have to bring this up um he is now at 100 goals in the epl um it's the fifth fastest to 100 in 162 games um I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. You know, that, that's pretty impressive. And um, if he has another good season, he can I – don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I'm really, really happy about that. And, uh, he again, he's not always a player that, that gets the respect he deserves, but he gets the criticism pretty fast as well. He got there faster than Harry Kane, didn't he? Ooh, I don't know. Let me let me put up a stat here. Uh, I know that Shearer and Ari were in that. Or the two. Shearer, Ari, Aguero, 
No, Hurricane Hurricane did it in 141, 141 games. Okay. Uh, and then yeah. Thaw did in what, like 140-something? Sorry, say again? I actually didn't hear what you said. How many, how many did it take Thaw to get there? Uh, 162. 162, because it has to include his um, – the the, the 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 13 Premier League games he played with Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So oh, Alex anyway. here is 124, and so Aguero is 147, Henri 160, and then the two after that that uh, Liverpool Twitter uh, Instagram account posted was Ian Wright 173 and Robbie Fowler 175. So um, that actually brings up the question: How many goals did? Michael Owen have Tommy. What's he at? Uh, he's not. I don't think he had hundred Premier League goals. Really? Because of all the injuries. Um, no. He, I think he was on the list his own was showing, but I think he was at the bottom of it. Yeah, he had not I, much more than hundred. Yeah, I want to say one eighty something. Oh, that's that's quite interesting, but. Um... Yeah, I'm really happy. Yeah, he had 150 goals apparently. Oh, okay. So maybe it was. Um, yeah, okay. So maybe I was. Uh, I was incorrect. Maybe I was thinking of somebody. Somebody different that. Yeah, he, I, he's I, th- I thought had had more than 100. Had a lot more than they did. Yeah, he had 118 goals for Liverpool. Premier League goals for Liverpool alone. Wow. So he would have reached that 100 mark at Liverpool. Um, Oh, yeah. So would it be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It took it took a while. So he would have reached it in his second last season there before he went to Madrid. Yeah. So he was in the he was in the one eighties. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Man, what a anyway. What a what a player he would have been had had he stuck around with Liverpool. But um, okay. Let's let's jump to okay. No, actually, I want to talk to Tommy about this one. Um. Sadio Mane, man. Let's talk Sadio Mane because there's a lot going on there. And I, I can have an argument, uh, sorry, a discussion. And, and I'm totally for people saying he's not that out of form and, and whatnot. He's still trying hard. But the reason why I'm coming down kind of hard on him or criticizing him is because of the decision making and his touches. You know, I'm not questioning his drive. That's not what I'm questioning. But like he is definitely struggling with some confidence because the decision making he was doing for uh, for the chances that were there for him weren't right. And same thing with the bad touch made him go wide and, and, and stuff like that. He got his goal. But man, was I ever frustrated with him. Yeah, I, I was I think I was I was in the same boat. There was one moment where he. Um, he took too many extra touches and then allowed a defender to get in, uh, get set in order to, to, to block it. There was another time where he went down quite easily in the box and then uh, didn't do anything about it and tried to appeal for a penalty when they could have kept the play going. Um, there was a couple of other times where, yeah, just doing too much, t- taking that extra unnecessary extra touch when he should have just shot, uh, mm-hmm. tried to do one extra game, make that one extra touch and then giving the defenders enough time to, to recover. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And it just, it just frustrates me a lot. And I want him to find that form he had about two years ago. Right. Um, so it is getting to the point where, I don't know. So sometimes I lose confidence 
in him when he's in on goal to be completely honest like i know it's harsh to it's harsh to say but that's what he's showing me that's that's what my eye test is is is, is telling me yeah i say man i was just it's just frustrating that two years ago he was much more clinical in front of goal and yeah. much just had the confidence he sees start, start goal i'm going to score here like the way we see with Salah, who's got that confidence to go for it, knowing he can score. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Manny, he also has the fastest hat trick in EPL history, if I'm not mistaken. When he was at Southampton. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's because he's playing against Luke Ailing, and Luke Ailing nutmegged him last year. So he's, 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 he's mentally, he's screwy. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> he, he actually got, he got Luke Ailing back in that game. I know oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm up in the Premier League. It's like first game. I'm just nutmegging Sadio Mane, easy work. And like, he got me back later. So fast. <laughs> it was like, uh, the opener last year. Then, um, Guys, let's talk about uh, uh, ah, the, the moment where Harvey Elliott dislocated slash broke his ankle. Um, Jay, I'll, I'll, I, wanna, I want your point of view in terms of uh, foul, red card. We know, listen, we know it's accidental. So we, it's so hard because they didn't show the replay and for good reason, I understand why right. they didn't. So like initially when I was just watching the play, I saw him go to ground i saw the ball generally move in the direction he wanted it to i didn't think there was a problem uh, and so that's the thing and i've seen a couple other people say like you know you watch it without the replay and you just think no fair enough like it's a tackle and you go um it's really hard for us to say because nobody's actually uh, unless you guys have gone and looked at it i haven't tried to look at it i don't want to see that to be honest with you if he if he really did uh obviously he's seriously injured so i'm sure it was a foul i'm not disputing that um but yeah it looked fairly innocuous and again pascal strike you know tackles people all the time and he generally does not um commit like i don't i don't i have to look at the stats i could be completely wrong here. Doesn't, but I, I know that he's not a dirty player um he is a big guy uh he's he's a big man um and and, and I, i'm assuming that you know if he tackles either probably quite a bit of force but from what i've seen and from watching him last year he does not seem like a dirty player I, i'd be shocked if it was um if it was intentional but you saw him talking to van dyke after he, he obviously felt bad about it nobody disputed the red card um because yeah again if he got that injured obviously it, it would, he did something wrong and, and he recognized that so it, it's really just i think everybody's just feels like it's super unfortunate for um harvey elliott uh, 18 years old finally breaking through uh, strike side i mean like I, I think it's completely accidental but um you know he obviously took, he took his red card and i don't think leads are going to dispute any suspension i don't know that it's going to warrant a huge suspension after that because they'll probably look at it themselves and make that decision but um i don't think the intent was there i mean it just sucks for liverpool again because you know what this reminds me of this reminds me of uh son i think tackle on gomez where again like i mean he tackled him and then he started crying immediately because he realized well shit, like what have i done um, it, it's just unfortunate that Liverpool seems to be on the receiving end of these more often than not. But, um, yeah, I think in this case, too, it was just, you know, he didn't mean to do it. Uh, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, Harvey uh, Elliott recovers really, really quickly and he's back in the back playing again. It sucks that just as he's getting started, he's being stopped. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, and I think it's, there are some people trying to make equivalency to when uh, when Aaron Ramsey had that nasty leg break, 
But that was a vicious foul by Ryan Shawcross that broke Aaron Ramsey's leg in 2010. This was not it. It was, it honestly, had he not been injured, it probably would have been a yellow card. I think that it was, it was an awkward and, it was an awkward and clumsy tackle. I only saw the, what we saw on television. I didn't go, I couldn't, I didn't look for, I didn't go out looking for any other angles, but from what I could tell, it looked more like awkward and clumsy than reckless and dangerous, but you know, awkward and clumsy can turn into dangerous with in this situation. So I think that, I don't think there's going to be any additional suspension. Like you said, Jay, I think that it's, you know, it's a red card. He's going to serve his, whatever his band for it, whatever is banned for it. But then, yeah, it's just it's bad luck all around, yeah. I think. And it's, yeah. And I, yeah, I don't, Struik's not, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just looked it up too, just to, to, to confirm too. And like you said, awkward. And I mean, uh, you know, Harvey Elliott is five foot seven. Uh, Pascal Strike is six foot three. Um, you know, one is one man is significantly larger than the other one. And like you said, like it's kind of, you know, you got a big body and a much smaller body. It, 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 it sucks. It just, it just fucking sucks. And just with the force and the pace of everything, how everything, quickly everything happens. Yeah. yeah. Pascal Strike is not a skinny six three. Like he's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a stocky guy. And you can see that. Yeah, it, it, I, I think. Guys, from my point of view, so I ended up watching the replay. Um, um, it wasn't like it totally sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like when I was at the pub and I saw it, I was one of the first people that, that like right at the tackle was just like, oh my God, I got up. And I was just like, holy shit. And so um, what makes it, the, the reason why he can't control that tackle is because he leaves his, his feet. He, he lunges. So therefore when he lands, his whole body lands his trailing leg lands on that ankle, and that's oh, where was his trailing leg. The trailing leg. Oh, that, okay. That's why. So, in a sense, knowing that's his trail leg, it's guys. It's almost like a scissors. Okay, you almost scissors. So, and when you're coming from behind and you kind of scissor someone, even though one leg is more extended than the other, like you've left the ground, your whole weight's going to come down to wherever it comes down, and that's what. That's why it. it it, he's not in control of his tackle. That's the way I can say it. He gets the ball with the with the first leg, but the the it, it, he just can't avoid it, right? That was going to be my next question. Like, did with the actual intended foot, did he get the ball? Yeah, because that's why I thought it was when I saw it. It just looked like a regular tackle. Because again, you saw the replay. I did not see the replay, so I'm not going to yeah. argue with you if you say otherwise. But from what I saw, it looked like he, yeah, again, he kind of like went to ground with his lead foot, poked the ball away because it seemed to go in the direction he was. Like in a given tackle, but because then, he, like, he hooks it right, he does like a hooking motion. Yeah, it's a hook, yeah. That's what I thought. That's the only thing I thought I saw too. Is a hook. Like whenever I slide tackle, I have never lunged in somebody directly and try to win the ball. Every slide tackle I've ever had has always been trying to get a step on them and then get in front of them and hook the ball. And then usually they'll fall over the front, but it's not usually like a, a tackle that hurts anymore. But yeah, so I, I did not realize. So that's what it looked like to me. I thought he hooked it, but I didn't want to say because I didn't see it well enough. Yeah. But yeah, it's the trailing leg, and like, yeah, you're right. That's the, it's just out of control. That's it. Was just fucking sucks. It's, yeah, it, it it definitely definitely sucks. And Jay, you hate you, you mentioned exactly the the points. Um, he's breaking through. Big confidence for the kid. Um. Bob trusts him. He's got the trust of his manager. Yeah, man. it's a hard and, thing to win and playing well. Club. And playing well. So 
No, that it won't. I at that point I didn't care. I just want the game to end. Like when Mane scored, um, this has nothing against Mane, but I just didn't celebrate because I'm just like, just pull the whistle, man. Like I, I just want to get these three points and kind of regroup, see how bad it is. And it, it definitely uh, killed the game. Um, side note though, it's a straight red. So guys, if if they don't, it's three games right away, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's yeah, one and then there's an I think he's when you get a red card, it's one, and then I think the standard is typically an automatic additional two games. Right. Yeah. I think if, if it's two yellows, it's one and they don't exactly. review for second. But I think if it's a straight red, it's guaranteed one and they review automatically look to see if they, it needs the extra two. Yeah. So I think the is Tom, you correct me if I'm wrong. But I think when they do the review, if it is deemed a legitimate red card, they typically do give two games right yeah 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 so um guys i think that's uh i i think if we switch it up a bit i want to bring in money again because he uh jay we were clowning this can't let go of money okay the reason i bring him up is because we were clowning we were clowning Timo Warner. We were clowning about the I don't know. Is he the, the day before for Germany? Yeah, yeah. The the day before when he was playing for Germany or, or the during the week, and that he totally missed a sitter and it went over the net. And what does Mane do? He does even worse. Although actually, maybe Jay is he was leading. No, it wasn't worse. It wasn't worse. I when I said you said that you're like, yeah, hey, we're just making fun of Werner, and I was thinking, yeah. like, you know what? When I I like I again, I'd have to see the replay again. But yeah. I thought Mane was kind of at a stretch. I wasn't really okay, fair like, enough. That wasn't a sitter for me. Werner was a sitter. I don't even know. Like, if I tried my hardest, I don't think I could have missed the net from there. Like, I don't I, like I don't even know how he managed it. This guy, this guy's finishing is amazing. I've never seen anybody like you've got one place to put it, and somehow he managed. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he could just stand there the ball would hit him and would most likely like there's a 70 percent chance it goes in the net if he's just yeah. off moving the, team. the guy the guy's incredible I, i've never seen uh an ability to miss the target like this it's it's, it's, it's phenomenal and, and you know and also he scored three goals during the break i think so like one goal per match so i mean like yeah somehow he's still he actually is scoring for germany but yeah. when he does stuff like that and again chelsea had a, a good chance on the weekend but he blew up like what is the point of this guy? I don't understand. <laughs> it must be, I don't know. It must be killing his confidence, that's for sure. Yeah. What does he have to do to score for Chelsea? Um, but tell me, I'll bring you in. Any last thoughts on the Liverpool game? Um, you know, it was a it was a professional performance. I was like like you, I was I mean, the Harvey Elliott injury completely took any of the shine out of it, but I'm happy that Liverpool got the three points. Um, probably could have been more than three goals, missed a few oh, chances. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. It's yeah, it could easily have been four or five, but you know, three nil, three three points. Uh, you know, top tied joint top with 10, uh, 10 points from four games. You know, just gotta keep on going. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna jump in and say, I think like a couple other notes from that. I thought, I thought Calvin Phillips was generally quite good. I think his passing was on point, his recovery was pretty good, but I mean, things just weren't working. Fabinho was cutting a lot of the stuff out. I think Jack Harrison had a tough night. Um, Rafinha. Was good in moments, but generally not as um, dangerous as I usually find he is. And Stuart Dallas, um, again, kind of an anonymous performance, and that's surprising because Stuart Dallas, again, from last year in the Premier League, was, um, you know, doesn't matter where they play him, left back, right back, center back, you know, attacking midfielder on the wing. He, he comes and he plays, and I, I just haven't really been. I wasn't convinced by that performance. Um, well, they yeah. mentioned some 
they mentioned something about Stuart Dallas having had to pull out of um, the Northern Ireland squad for personal reasons. They didn't expand on it. So maybe there's something a little bit that's sort of in the back of his mind that's not, yeah. wasn't 100% all focused on the game. Yeah, maybe. I, I didn't actually know about that. That's interesting. I, I, did, I did not know about that. Um, but yeah, like Stuart Dallas is one of those, like Calvin Phillips, they always say that, you know, he's the kind of uh, teacher's pet when it comes to Bielsa. And Calvin Phillips was saying, no, it's Stuart Dallas, Stuart Dallas. Like Stewie, like he, he said, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, he's hurt, he's, he plays, you know what I mean? He had a bad game last match, doesn't matter, he still plays, right? So um, yeah, it's, that's, that's, I didn't know that, so that's interesting. Yeah, um, something that the but, commentator mentioned during the broadcast. Yeah, Bamford, uh, you know, again, opportunities, service relatively limited. You know, Liverpool did a, a good job of, you know, kind of limiting service to him. Uh, I think that one of the, the interesting moments of the match was when he just stripped Thiago in midfield and tried to chip. Uh, he came close. I also had to get a hand to it or else it would have been a goal. Yeah, like, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's, again, I know that we've kind of had discussions about not being super impressed with Patrick Bamford. I will say that watching Leeds over the course of last season, he has convinced me. Um, I do see all of the other contributions he makes, and I think that he is probably the striker that Bielsa needs. Um, I think that he is smart. I think that his finishing could probably be better, but let's also not discount that he scored, you know, 17 Premier League goals last year. That's nothing to, uh, to, to, to look past. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, what, I, what I also want to give credit to Leeds is that despite going down to 10, um, they were still attacking. They were still, they were still open. And I'm just like, yo, these, these guys are legit. Like they don't know how to uh, play any other way. We're, we are going to continue attacking. And, you know, it's pretty impressive. I'm just like, you know what? It kept, it kept the game entertaining. Um, I did I wasn't, despite being up, I didn't, I wasn't in the mood to watch another, like, Chelsea Liverpool where Chelsea just sat there right um so so that was kind of that was kind of entertaining there but um guys I think we need to wrap this up we're coming to the end of our our third session so um <laughs> so um I'll just say that um like like Tommy said uh you know we're, we're top of the league and um Things are still positive. Uh, see how Liverpool is going to bounce back from the injury. See how we're going to line up. And may that be Henderson or Keita. Um, lots of questions there. We'll, we'll see what, what Klopp comes up with. Is Minamino out alone or is he there? No, uh, he's, he's there, but he's, he was injured. Yeah, he's injured. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's injured. He got injured with the, with the national team. Okay. So, anyways, that, that, that's it. Let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, Jay, Tommy, I, I, I brought you guys together. We did a thing. Uh, the Kippers, if they made it this far, then they know that it was a fantastic pod, <laughs> worthy of your hour and a half or whatever it is we're at now. <laughs> God, but um, honestly, guys, I, I appreciate it, and we'll do this again soon. Absolutely.